Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, otherwise known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg, with me in the studio. This week is Gavia Baker-Whitelaw, who is the geek culture critic at The Daily Dot, covering fandom, science fiction, and comics. She also hosts the TV and movie podcast Overinvested. Gavia, hello. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for joining us um, and for having one of the cooler names of any of my guests on the show. (laughs) Um, It's so fun to have you on the show. I feel like we have revolved around one another's sort of various fields of expertise online before. It was great earlier this year when we were both recapping Star Trek um, for different websites. And I'm so glad that I don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) Well, I love to recap, so... (laughs) That I... I, I I think I have recapped two shows in my life. One was like when I was just getting started out um, and it was like seven years ago and I was recapping the first season of The Vampire Diaries for free. And then was this year recapping Star Trek Discovery. And both times I was really bad at it. I mean, I feel like you've had a lot of good priorities, like really overanalyzing the wig situation. And I feel like in a lot of ways that's preferable to getting really heavy in on the sci-fi detail with this kind of show. I, I figured other people were going to be handling that a lot better and I just could not stop asking questions about the wig just like the wig choices and the wig budget very noticeable it was uh, thank you I I I do appreciate that it wasn't just me like I don't think I was bringing too much of a wig intensity to the table there was a wig issue with that series they had so much money and they couldn't okay not important (laughs) this is not a podcast about wigs um If anyone has further questions about my opinions about wigs, specifically in the greater Star Trek universes, please feel free to email me, and I will be happy to go into detail. The show had a real wig issue, that's all I want to say. Um, how, How are you? How are you feeling at the prospect of delivering a lot of advice to strangers? I mean, I'm I'm excited and trepidatious. This is very much out with my usual zone of expertise, but I hope people kind of hear the, the sincerity in my tones. I don't want to screw it up for anyone. I've got kind of my list of questions here and um, looking forward to hopefully giving some adult advice like a real grown up. I, I <laughs> also look forward to that. And I think that the, the sincerity is coming through loud and clear. Um, so we'll go ahead and we will each take turns reading letters, which is what we do every week on this show. And, um, I'll start with this first one, which I, I try not to run too many letters like this one because I do get a lot. Um, 
But it, it is, I think, representative of a sort of common concern that I think there are some helpful things that we can perhaps offer this anxious parent um, who is very, very worried about some things that are actually probably kind of far down the pike. Um, and the subject is trying on labels like outfits, which I just want to stop and say one sometimes hears that um, as if to say, that's really worrying. What if somebody tried on labels like outfits? And of course, it's possible for people to try on labels in a way that is perhaps um, frivolous or distracting or unnecessary. But for the most part, trying on outfits is fine. Trying on outfits is how you figure out what you'd like to wear, you know? Like, that's not a bad thing, always. So with that caveat, dear Prudence, my son is gender nonconforming. And we have done very well with that for a couple of years now. He's supported in school and at home and is consistently identified as a boy. Sometimes he uses language like a tom girl or in between a boy and a girl. However, a few days ago, he learned what the term transgender means and immediately insisted that he is transgender. This doesn't comport with his behavior or identity up to this point. He likes boyish clothes and girlish accessories and hairstyles. He's never disliked his body. I have flat out asked him before if he thinks he's a girl or would rather be a girl, and he has said no. What I'm saying is that he has never been consistent, insistent, or persistent about a transgender identity, and he's never seemed unhappy to be a boy. When I point that out to him, he digs in and says he just didn't feel comfortable telling me about this about himself before. I'm inclined to think that he's just being suggestible and trying this new idea out without really understanding deeply. I'm fortunate to live in a town with a pediatric gender clinic, but I kind of want to delay and see where this goes. He's still prepubescent, and I'm concerned about visiting the clinic and encouraging an idea he may otherwise move on from in a few weeks. Should I consult with an expert since I have the option, or trust my instincts? Obviously, there's a lot of there here. Yeah, a lot of a lot a lot of material. Um, I feel like um, in this instance, trusting an expert sounds like a fairly good place to start. I mean, you're really lucky to live somewhere near um, a pediatric gender clinic. And I feel like the letter writer is maybe almost kind of in their mind thinking of this clinic as what if my child goes there and gets converted um, away from what I expected rather than going to a clinic and having a professional figure out what's actually going on, which could be helpful in this situation. Yeah, I, I would say number one, the I think the, the important thing to focus on here is that you love your child. Your child has been some version of gender nonconforming for a number of years, and nothing that has happened up until now has made you feel anxious about your child's, like, well-being or future, right? Like, all of that is really, really good. I think sometimes, yes, um, especially when it comes to the possibility of uh, a child having a trans identity, there's kind of this panic uh, for cis parents of, like, what's going to happen tomorrow? Um and, you know, right now, given that your child is like prepubescent, mostly what's going to happen is, you know, you'll get to talk about options, possibilities, ways that people identify, choices that people make as a result of those identities. That's kind of it. No one's going to be... um you know, some of the bigger things that people get really anxious about, like, you know, no one is going to be, you know, slotting your kid up for surgery um, or or trying to put your kid on hormones tomorrow. Like there's I think right now what you're afraid of, it sounds like is if my kid learns more about this, then they're going to want this. But for some reason, I believe that wanting this would only be the result of being highly suggestible. 
which I'm a little confused by because surely we get lots of suggestions about gender already. And I'm not quite sure why previously you didn't think of your child as suggestible, but now you do. Well, I have a theory as to why. And it's because you're afraid of having a trans child. And I think that might be where some of that fear is coming from, because it doesn't sound like before you had trouble believing your child um, when they told you things. Right. Like you say, oh, my son's never been consistent, insistent or persistent. But you you do say that for years um, y- your son has not conformed to gender um, and has, uh, you know, uh, demonstrated overtly a number of times um, some sort of sense of boy doesn't feel right. That's not where I'm at. Um, so it's not like this is coming out of totally nowhere. Um, And I think it's a lot to ask of someone um, that they have, like, especially of a child, um, that they have arrived at this really, like, well-researched, super self Like, you you say yourself, like, your your child had never heard of the term transgender until a few days ago. That's, again, that does not mean go to the clinic tomorrow, um, set in motion a number of like pretty serious uh, interventions. That just means, you know, open your mind to the possibility that the reason that your child did not say I'm transgender before is because they didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there was like, there's ways to kind of ease into that conversation, you know, have a chat about your, with your kid about kind of how you, if they want to have the change of behavior in like the household around the family, you know, maybe using new pronouns or that kind of thing, which is, you know, a step that's even before calling a medical professional, you know, and that's just could be a lot easier than kind of going so many steps further into the future, which I think, as Daniel said, is kind of what's happening right now. It can be helpful to take kind of a step back and say, um, you know, what am I faced with right now? And right now, what you have is a child who has learned the word transgender um, and really likes that word and is using that word. Um, your child, it does not sound like, is asking to go to this clinic. You, you just mentioned that you live in a town with a clinic um, and you're not sure that you'd like to make an appointment this week. Um, you, don't, you don't have to. It does not sound like that's something that your kid is pushing for. Um, and so it's okay um, if you would like to put that off for a little while. Um, and, and, you know, if, if all your kid wants to do right now is talk about this term um, and learn more and find out more what this term might mean to them, then great. You can do that. That is reversible. That is something you can do with no, like, cost or time expenditure on your part. Um, that's very possible. That's available to you right now. Um, you can tell your child Let's talk more about this. Um, I'm really sorry that you didn't feel comfortable telling me about this before. I want you to feel like you can talk to me about ideas or questions that you have without feeling like you're committing to anything. Or like if I haven't heard you talk about it previously, you're going to have to prove it to me um, in order for me to pay attention. Um, I, I think that would probably be the most important thing for you to do here. Um like I, I personally, like as somebody who is also transgender, one thing that I was really anxious about when I was contemplating coming out to the people in my life was the fear that people would say things to me like, you seemed fine before or like such and such activity or or word or whatever else seemed fine to you before. Why is that different now? Um, and feeling like this sense of, oh, my gosh, like I did not sufficiently demonstrate like 
closeted transness before in order to be able to come out now. And I'm not suggesting that like my coming out as an adult is the same thing as your child exploring identities right now. But, um, you know, I I think that the idea that all trans people have from just like a very early age, a remarkably consistent, um, overt sense of their gender identity is is not really helpful um and it's it's kind of a it's kind of an impossible standard to hold people to and also like a, a person could like boyish clothes and girlish accessories and have a gender identity as trans like you know clothes and identity aren't the same thing and i, I think you know that but i, I think it's because you're anxious, you don't want your kid to be trans because that's going to mean a lot of harder things or things that you didn't expect. So you're sort of hoping that that's not the ultimate outcome. You're sort of looking for reasons why that can't be the ultimate outcome. And I think you should not approach um, this with that perspective. Gavi, I have I have just been babbling on and on. Do you have anything else to throw out here? Uh, sorry, I've I been mean, really... you've given so much good advice. I think I think we've maybe got it covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right now, all you got to do is listen to your kid. Keep an open mind. Chill and slow down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't put your kid in the position of, like, prove to me that you are interested in this. Um, Just be available and listen. And if your kid continues to talk about this um, and wants to learn more, be there. Help. Go to the library. Um, Find a PFLAG meeting. Um, Find resources for kids who are questioning their gender identity. Um, And, yeah, potentially, you know, in, in in a while, consider making an appointment at the gender clinic. And again, if you go there, all you're doing is asking questions and talking about possibilities. You do not have to um, go there and commit to anything. Um, That's not what you're being asked with right now or asked to do right now. And the people who work there are probably not going (laughs) to, they're not going to be like enthusiastically like, let's push you over and do this huge next step. You know, they're there to kind of have conversations with parents and kids. So... Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes cis parents sort of worry that like if if I let my kid explore this, if we go to a clinic, there's sort of this idea that like the people there work on commission, like if you can get so many people to transition in a year, you get a bonus. <laughs> like it's pretty woman and you're Julia Roberts or they're Julia Roberts. I'm I'm getting my metaphors mixed up. It's been a while since I saw pretty woman, but that's like it's not how it works. Nobody's out here like trying to hawk hormone replacement therapy on the TV. So the idea of like, oh, my suggestible child has been swept up in like the vast trans agenda is like, you know, reality test that idea. Like, you know, who, who would be who would be standing to, to, to benefit from that? Like, I think generally speaking, if somebody finds the idea of being trans really compelling, it's it's not because they stand to gain something or that somebody else stands to gain something. It's it's because it speaks to something pretty um, uh, deeply felt. And good luck. I'm glad that you've been there for your kid, and I hope that you continue to do so. Um, and that whatever happens, regardless of what choices you and your children do and don't make, um, that you don't feel like it's your job to forestall or prevent anything. It's just your job to listen right now. Okay, well, we're just like on a parenting kick today because this next question is is also uh, about family issues. And I would love it if you would read it because I just talked so much. I'm sick of the sound of my own voice. Okay, I will move on to the next one then. So um, the subject line is, am I a parent? 
Um, and the letter writer says, Dear Prudence, my husband and I spent many years and around $75,000 trying to have a child. We were so excited when we finally got pregnant, but devastated when our child unexpectedly died hours after being born. We couldn't handle the heartache and were out of money, so we decided to move on as a childless couple. I work as a consultant where there are a lot of social events with customers and other co-workers. When the do you have kids question has come up, I've always said we had a, a daughter who passed away and then quickly asked them another question or redirected the conversation. I do not want to dishonor my daughter by saying I do not have children. My coworker recently started answering before me and says, no, she doesn't before I can respond. I confronted her and she says um, that my answer makes people uncomfortable and that I should just say I don't have any kids. Is it appropriate to correct her when she answers for me or do I need to just say no? So this is like a very kind of sensitive topic and kind of my initial reaction is that your coworker, first of all, shouldn't, shouldn't really be kind of making that decision for you and definitely shouldn't have made that decision about opening up about your child's death without consulting you first. Cause it kind of sounds like this person interrupted you in front of other coworkers or maybe uh, clients rather than having a private conversation. Um, so I'm sorry you had to kind of deal with that conflict at work. Yeah, because this is one of those things where, like, I think the coworker probably thinks that, like, she, she is. I I don't know what her game was in the sense that, like, clearly you were going to notice that, and that wasn't going to feel good to you. Um, so yeah, the the idea that she thought she was actually smoothing over anything, um, by jumping in and answering that question for you is um bad. Yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds like the coworker says you're making people uncomfortable, but, you know, I think you've made her uncomfortable, which is not something to blame on you. Um, it's just like a reaction she's had. And it's really your choice whether to open up about this kind of thing. It doesn't sound like you're unloading a lot of personal information on strangers. It sounds like you're making a truthful statement during conversation that you are free to make if you want to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really on the letter writer side here. I think, of course, there is a degree to which uh, conversations with customers and other coworkers or people in the industry, we all um, sort of, you know, hide some of what we're really thinking and saying for the benefit of the business that we're doing. Um, so certainly there's plenty of personal information that we wouldn't necessarily give in the course of a conversation with a customer. Um, that does not extend so far that um, if you would normally acknowledge the fact that you had a child who died, that you should lie about it. Um, like if that feels important to you. And again, it sounds like the way you've been communicating it is pretty like we had a daughter, she passed away, and then you move the conversation along. It's not as if you yeah. interrupt conversations to talk about your personal grief. Like this, it's just an uncomfortable fact. Like sometimes that happens. And I, I believe that most people who hear that are capable of of saying, I'm so sorry to hear that. Maybe internally feeling jarred because it's a jarring thing, but it's not something that you need to lie about. Um, you know, you're not like walking up to customers and introducing yourself and saying, by the way, like, we should really think about like you're, you're it's just a sad thing that happened to you. You are not attempting to um, drag down conversations. I mean, in terms of actually dealing with the situation with the coworker, um, it does sound like you're probably going to have to be the person who instigates that conversation with her in private and just kind of you know, try to point out that this isn't something you're trying to do. You know, you're not trying to use customers as therapy or anything like that. It does sound like you're just having this as like a simple kind of statement of fact. And that, you know, 
this isn't this hasn't like disrupted the workplace so far and she should allow you to make your own decisions you know absolutely yeah and i think that should be what you say like you need to stop doing this um i'm not going out of my way to insert this into conversations but if people directly ask me if i have a child um, i'm not gonna lie um and you need to not do that for me um i'm not doing anything inappropriate we're able to move the conversation on um but it makes me uncomfortable when you tell people i'd never had a child when i did and you need to stop like that should be the end of that because also in the end she is making you uncomfortable so you know (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's, oh man, I'm just, I'm very sorry. That's a very cold thing for her to be doing to you. And I I hope very much that she listens because, you know, if she doesn't, I I don't want to advise you to then correct her in the moment because then you guys are going to get into this one-upmanship of like, no, my coworker is lying. I have a child who died. And then... Then that's re- that then would be the most uncomfortable. Conversation. Um, so she really needs to knock it off, and hopefully she, hopefully she will. And if she doesn't, hopefully you have you know uh, recourse to to address this internally rather than to try to work it out in front of um, clients. But yeah, I'm I'm genuinely sorry that you have a coworker who is doing that to you. Don't do that, people. If you have a coworker who lost a child. Um, let them decide whether and when they would like to acknowledge uh, their child. That just feels like common sense. And generally, don't make broad strokes decisions on behalf of your coworkers' personal lives without consulting them first. Yeah, that's, I mean, j- that she just decided the best way for her to handle this was to start interrupting and answering for you um, in a way that you were going to very obviously pick up on right away. Um, that was not good strategy on her part. And I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that you guys lost your daughter. I'm really sorry. That's terrible. Um, And that's not one of those things that you need to, you know, never, ever, ever acknowledge just because you're at work. Like, that's a step too far, I think, to say, like, because you were at work, you cannot acknowledge, like, a death of a family member or the death of a child. Like, you know, there's there's one there's keeping your personal life personal and your work life separate. But but asking someone to do that is just a step too damn far. Yeah. Now I'm just thinking of every coworker I've ever had and every single resentment I've ever held against any of them. <laughs> that's not helpful for for the task at hand. I just wanted you to know no. that that was something that I'm thinking of right now. I wonder what they're all doing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next letter. Uh, the subject here is, my illness makes me demean my coworkers, which is a bold subject line. Dear Prudence, 
I have a long-term autoimmune illness, which causes a tremendous amount of cognitive difficulties. One of the most infuriating results is that I cannot remember common words for things under pressure. Sometimes I sputter, staring at people while I try to explain something, or worse, I find it impossible to recall their name. I work in a fast-paced catering environment where addressing one's coworkers is frequent and necessary. Most people know downtime me when I'm thoughtful and well-spoken, but during a busy shift, I can devolve into, hey, hon, please grab me more fire thingies. I bristle if the wrong person uses diminutives with me, so I'm embarrassed that I often resort to miss, sir, babe, hun, dude, hey you, or lady passing the canapes as ways of addressing people. Some of these people I've known for years, including my own husband, who I've sometimes stared at trying to remember his name, and some are new. I think all of them deserve more respect than that. We work with about 300 employees, 100 of whom I see on a regular basis. Some people know that I'm sick, and I've thought about telling people in downtime why I do this, but the reality is that most people who I'm not close with really don't want a rundown of my health issues. How can I resolve this? I feel rude and disrespectful. So far, I haven't found a good neutral way to let someone know that I'm speaking to them. All right, what's your take on this one? I mean, my initial response, apart from the fact that it sounds like... um apart from the issue of kind of feeling uncomfortable with kind of the like personal interactions you're having with your coworkers, overall, you seem to be doing like a good job at your workplace. Um, but maybe I'm just kind of an internet-based millennial, but my immediate response to this was kind of, is there a way you can send a really simple email to these 300 coworkers? Um, because it's not, is that you say that most people don't want to hear about your illness, which may or may not be true. It might just be you kind of thinking that people aren't interested. Um, but you don't have to go into any kind of detail. You know, you can send a one sentence email explaining um, to your coworkers, you know, I have this cognitive issue that means that I don't always remember names in this bar of the moment. And if the thing you're concerned about is demeaning people, you could maybe kind of choose not to use words like babe that people might find uncomfortable if they've kind of approached you about that and then kind of stick to, you know, sir and ma'am, which also I, I can understand would feel a bit stilted, but maybe if you did find a way to kind of contact your coworkers in this more neutral, like less face-to-face environment, that could be kind of ironed out more simply. Yeah, I, I, I think that too. I think it would actually be useful to your coworkers um, to, to know, because it, it sounds like you're comfortable sharing it. It doesn't sound like you would rather keep that private. Obviously, if you did not want to share it, that would be different. But um, if it would make a difference and you are occasionally worried that some of the people you, who you don't see regularly think you think of them as babe or hun, um, that would actually be really useful. So I think that it, that's great. And maybe check with your supervisor about like what would be the best way to do it. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, I, I actually do think it's fine in downtime or at the beginning of a shift to just say really quickly, like, hey, guys, I have an issue uh, where I have like a, a cognitive issue that makes it difficult for me to remember names. Um, I, I, I do my best not to use diminutives. But if I occasionally um, point or try to get your attention without using your name, um, it's genuinely because I'm having a, a hard time remembering words at that moment. Um, and that's it. That's a brief sentence or two. Um, and I think it will go a long way to like people would really, really understand that. Whereas somebody who hears you say like hun or sweetie might be kind of jarred. Yeah. I mean, it does sound like the situation could kind of lead to people misinterpreting because I know a lot of people are like obviously not going to be necessarily comfortable with using that kind of language in the workplace. But like Danny says, if you just have like a really simple kind of announcement before the beginning of a shift or do the round robin email idea, um, that could be a way to like smooth things over without having to get into any really personal details with your coworkers you don't see very often. 
And frankly, it's not a rundown. Like, you didn't even give us a rundown. Yeah. Like, I don't have anything other than a very general sense of what your condition is. So kind of uh, not at all dissimilar, by the way, to the last letter. You Neither of you are going into unnecessary detail. I mean, sometimes, you know, situations that internally you know, you know, as a person is a really complicated situation that you think about a lot and kind of get very anxious about to explain is actually really simple. It's kind of the feelings that are complicated rather than the actual kind of the, I guess, the scientific explanation you can share with other people. Yeah, definitely great to share this and and you should not be too hard on yourself. This is not something that you do on purpose um, and you're doing your best to make sure that other people are aware of the context. Um, and it's hard. It's hard working in a kitchen, working in catering. You often do have to think of things really quickly and move swiftly. And um, there are a lot of fire things. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. We got it. So, oh, man, this next one, I forgot about how rough this one is. Um, so I just want to begin by saying I don't know how we're going to handle this one. And we might uh, just ultimately say this is really hard and difficult and we're not sure what the best way forward is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like I have I have a viewpoint, but obviously this one mm -hmm. is such kind of an intense situation that there's so many variables involved that we don't know that that can make it yeah. like a lot harder to make a kind of a major decision like this. Um, yeah. But shall I read out the letter? Please. Okay. Um, so the subject line is how to be two-faced. Uh, Dear Prudence, my sister Tess is married to a very unpleasant man. He's abusive, as in has sent her to the hospital multiple times and she's left him twice, but she's gone back to him each time. The first time we, as in me, my brother and our parents, all argued with her and told her he was scum and she was better off without him. Of course, we then didn't see either of them for months. This time, we've tried to be a bit more diplomatic. The thing is that over the summer, we'll see a lot more of them and I don't know how to walk the tightrope. How nice do we have to be? If we're too nice, will Tess think that she couldn't depend on us if she leaves him again? Will he think that he can get away with more because he's pulled the wool over our eyes? If we're cool but polite, will he use our disapproval to keep her away from us again? How do you keep on the right side of an abuser while still being clear that you don't think he's in the right? All right. Yeah. What do you think? Well, um... I mean, this is just a really, really difficult situation for everyone to be involved here. And I'm sorry that you're kind of having to come to us for this advice. Hopefully we can help in some way. Um, my kind of, after thinking about this for a while, the what I was thinking was that the important thing is to prioritize your relationship with your sister. Um, so it may, while it may kind of feel like you're surrendering or appeasing to her abuser, um, kind of to remain in contact with him and to act, I guess, superficially friendly, abusers do often use this kind of situation to create a rift between family members. So that kind of isolates their victim from their support group. So if you want to keep Tess in your life, you have to find a way to keep your door open to support her if she decides to leave again. Because in quite a lot of kind of abusive relationships, the victim does often leave and then go back several times, which can obviously be incredibly stressful for everyone around them as well. So... Yeah, I mean, the, the initial reaction is always just like, I want to cut this person out of my life and remove the abuser and make a public statement. But sometimes that means that someone like your sister no longer has people around her to support her. Right. And just given that he has put her in the hospital more than once, this isn't just, uh, you know, not that I want to have like a scale of abuse, but this is very serious and yeah. very violent, right? Like her, her life is in danger. Um, and we know that when someone is in an abusive relationship like this, oftentimes the most dangerous time is when they are attempting to leave. Um, that's when the the likeliness of, um, uh, you know, 
murder is is the highest. So it's very, you know, important to maintain some sort of contact with her if that's at all possible. Um, this is this is a, a case where her life may depend on it. Um, and I can really understand if, you know, you're not going to be able to go to a friendly dinner, you know, just you and your partner and uh, her and her abusive husband. Like I, you may need to have um, certain, you know, if you happen to see him somewhere and you know that, you know, you have to be um, at least on the surface civil, that's one thing. But, you know, it's okay if you're like, look, I can't go out to a bunch of fun parties with him. Yeah. I mean, I can't really imagine how anyone could manage to maintain that level of kind of pretending to be someone's friend. I'm not suggesting that you should kind of insinuate yourself as his direct family member, because that sounds like it would be emotionally impossible. But um, if there was a way to kind of maintain a relationship with Tess, like within that relationship. Yeah, I think to communicate, you will always be here for her regardless of whether or not she leaves him. Um, That, you know, I think it would always be great if she has a way of getting in touch with you that's secure. Like, I don't know to what extent he monitors her email or texts or is checking her phone. Um, But if there's any way that you can kind of um, periodically set up some sort of checking in where you know he won't be around, um, that would be uh, ideal. Um, And just to let her know uh, that you're, you're, she always has you um, if she needs help leaving. Or even have, you know, financial assistance that she can access easily. Right. I, I think your choice to be more diplomatic in the interest of keeping in contact with her is really good. But I understand that part of your fear is um, that it, it will look like you're saying, we think this behavior is okay. Um, and so I think just really to stress without pressuring her to just say what he does to you is not okay i love you and support you no matter what if you ever want to leave i'm here to help um and you can you can come to me with anything um and and then to just you know not so often that you're like pressuring her but just to periodically remind her like i'm here um and to to whatever extent it's possible to try to see her you know separately like to get coffee um, or to have an individual call, um, you know, to see her in person every once in a while just to check and see if she is okay, like physically, you know, um, I think would be a good thing. Um, Maybe check and find a therapist for yourself um, because this is going to be a a stressful, possibly ongoing position for you to be in. Um, Yeah, that's that's a difficult tightrope, I think. Um, it's, it's, it's very hard to balance. Like, obviously part of you would want to just, you know, tell him off in front of the whole world. Um, and the other part of you would know that would endanger my sister and I want her to stay alive. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) this is like by far the hardest one we're going to be talking about today. And, um, it's not just like a decision you're going to have to make now. It's kind of an ongoing series of decisions. So I'm sorry you're having to go through that. And I think the idea of a personal therapist actually could be a good one. Yep. Yeah. And so I think like, even if you happen to be in an event when he is there, if you just find yourself feeling like, you know what, I can do this for about 15 minutes, and then I'm afraid I'm going to say something, um, give yourself a lot of permission to go take a walk, um, or to, you know, fake an emergency or to just say, it was so great to see you, Tess, we got to run, something came up, um, that that is um, okay um, to do and is is better than um, causing a scene. Um, 
And I think, you know, I, I recommend this periodically, but um, the National Domestic Hotline is not just for people directly experiencing abuse. They also offer support and resources for friends and family members of people suffering from abuse. So that's um, www.thehotline.org. Um, and the phone number uh, to call is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 7233. Um, and so you can also, you know get more like specific to your state um, resources and options um, and just support that you might need because that's that's a hard you know your, your question like I don't know how to walk this tightrope that is a tightrope it's really really hard to walk um, and I think the thing to prioritize is to make sure that your sister has access um, to supportive people in her life because if he has put her in the hospital multiple times um, and she's left twice, but he he's always convinced her to come back. Um, you know, it's 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 a sad reality that probably he will try to put her in the hospital again. Um, and I, I I wish her as much support um, as she can get, um, and and as less like as as little isolation as possible. Yeah, this one makes me really really sad, yeah. and I'm really sorry. Um, please keep us updated just on how you're doing. Um, let us know if you are able to find a therapist or get support from the um, National Abuse Hotline or just if you find anything that helps you as you f- try to find ways to help your sister. Okay, well, this next one is still distressing, but at least it's on a much smaller scale. It's about bugs. Um, yeah. And bugs are very upsetting, but um, at least... At least it's just bugs, right? I once, by the way, when I was living in a, a studio under an overpass in San Jose, um, found a roach in a dresser drawer of mine. And I just turned on all the lights in the house and I left for two days. That was my strategy. I don't recommend it as a strategy. I mean, I did come back and the roach was gone, but um, my light bill was kind of a lot that that month. Um and it was not the bravest moment I've ever had well, in my personal life. I've had the, had the good old bed bugs, which are a classic favorite of our generation. Have you? Um, that was an intense battle. Uh, what happened? Tell me everything. Oh, well, you know, the, the, the wonders of the bed bug is that you don't so much notice the bed bug as the blood stains that it leaves behind. Um, you know, you wake up and you're like, why are there, why are there blood stains on the sheets? And it's because the bed bugs, you know, they, they oh gorge themselves God. and then you squish them and pop little water balloons of your own blood on the bed sheets. I personally didn't have this so bad, but my housemates did. Mm. And, um, you have to go through some pretty intensive chemical treatments to get rid of those little bastards. And, uh, you know, you have to, you can either kind of put like clay down in the ground, which gets into their little joints and kills them or you can do what we did and hire an intimidating ex-military man to come and poison them intensely and then you can't sleep in your bedroom for days so that was my fun experience and it wasn't even like intense new york bed bugs this was like pathetic scottish bed bugs well i just want you to know that i will not be sleeping tonight (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) i am deeply deeply distressed on your behalf and um I I kind of want to scratch all of my skin off now. Thanks. Cool. Glad to be of a service. <laughs> so I think you should read this next letter because I just don't want to. Okay. Shall I continue with the bug question? Please do. Okay. So the subject line is my friend, the Roach Motel. 
Um, dear Prudence, my best friend recently moved into an apartment infested with cockroaches. She has a huge phobia of bugs in general and roaches specifically, and is taking it about as, per- as poorly as you would expect. Pest treatment doesn't seem to be doing much, and she recently told me she found some in her car and is even more upset about that. She visited my house for dinner the other night, and when I was in the kitchen, I saw a roach on our floor. I immediately killed it and was on high alert all night long, though I think it was just one that crawled out of her bag and we haven't seen any more. I'm torn on whether to tell her about it. On one hand, I think that she should be aware that she could be spreading roaches. On the other hand, she already struggles with isolation and I feel like this would make her cut everyone off. I want her. I want to have her over or take her out. I think if she left her bag at home and just put her keys and wallet in her pockets, it would be fine, but I don't know how to say it. Help. I hope that your best friend is able to get out of her lease and move. Yeah. I think that that is going to be ultimately the best uh, best option for her. I think the practical solution here, rather than a communication problem, is help her find a new apartment. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the purse thing was probably a one-off. Um, you know, sure, you can, you, you know, she already knows that she's got a roach problem. So I think that if you say to her, hey check your purse for roaches it's going to be gross and upsetting but it's not going to be the thing that puts her over the edge and never leaves the house again i think giving her options like maybe frankly ask if she wants to spend the night i mean check the purse of course but like i I would sure love to not sleep in my cockroach infested apartment um and to whatever extent you are able yeah help her uh, look for you know like a tenant's rights organization so she can find out she can break her lease yep if the landlord's not doing enough, I assume the landlord is not doing enough because the place is still um, infested. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I feel like this isn't something that can really be helped by kind of therapeutic conversations with her. It's definitely just got to either remove the cockroaches or remove her from the cockroach location. Yeah. And now I just feel like every time I put my hands in my pockets, I'm going to be afraid of touching a roach and I regret choosing this letter ever. Um, Yeah. Tell her, of course, let her know. Try to keep your tone casual. Ask if she can check her purse first um, and then also offer her a place to crash for the night if that would be helpful and definitely help her find another place to live. She's your best friend. Like this isn't just some person. She is your best friend and she is terrified because of all the roaches in her home. That is upsetting. Yep. That makes me want to not go to my home. Like, I don't even live in that same apartment that I once saw a roach in. I've never seen a roach in this home. And yet I kind of want to move. And on that note, um, Gavia, we sort of did it. We we sort of waded through a series of complex, thorny, uh, bug-filled issues. We did. And we now stand on the other side. How How are you feeling? I mean, I hope I've helped people or helped you help people. <laughs> Have you have you learned anything about yourself? Do you feel differently about any of the problems that you're currently facing in your own life? Um, well, I don't feel like I'm facing any problems that really uh, coincide with any of these at the moment. Um, fortunately, I guess. Um, but they were all That's very good. unique situations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm certainly glad that you have dealt with your bed bugs. Is there anything that you would like advice on? Oh my goodness. I don't think so. <laughs> Great. Well, good. I'm glad that you're just so sorted. So everyone who listened today know that you were getting advice from somebody who does not need advice herself, um, which is a pretty good, pretty great. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me on. Okay. And one final note before we close the show. So I often get letters on this show 
or rather in the live chat, uh, about how to break up with someone or whether or not someone should break up with someone. And often the answer seems to be, yeah, it seems like you guys should break up. Um, it's advice that I get to give a lot. Uh, today, I was able to give someone slightly different advice, which was you have broken up and you should give yourself permission to break up a little bit more, which is kind of an exciting new kind of advice to get to get, uh, to get to give rather. And I hope that I get to give more of it in the future. It was from a letter writer who had divorced uh, her husband because he'd come out as gay and it's been about a year and they're still having dinner together every night. She's still in love with him and devastated when he tries to talk about his dating life with her, which he does a lot, often in front of their kids. Um, and she was just kind of at a point where she felt like she was swallowing glass all the time. And I just want you all to know if you've already done the hard work of ending a marriage or ending a relationship um, and you're trying to stay not just civil and polite for the sake of your children, but close um, to such an extent that you are repeatedly, you know, weeping or having big blowout fights in front of the kids um, and you feel like you're swallowing glass when you're when your ex is like giddy and over the moon about their new partner. Um, you already broke up. You get to break up more. I, I think sometimes uh, a lot of us feel like we should all have this very, like, European attitude to, like, oh, divorce? That's in the past. We all have long, leisurely brunches along the Seine together with our children, all of whom are best friends and have hyphenated last names. And we laugh and talk about memories past. And um, that is an unreasonable standard to hold yourself to. If you have already split from someone, like the cat's out of the bag, right? Your kids are already dealing with the reality of divorce. There is a limit to how much... Um, family togetherness you can force on yourself um, if that togetherness results in big blowout screaming fights and lots and lots of weeping um, in front of the kids. So not only do you have my permission to end relationships that are bad, not getting better, show no sign of willingness to try to make things better and, and are just done, um, if you've already broken up and you're trying really, really hard to stay not just civil but like kind of best friend status and that's not working for you. You don't have to be best friends with your ex. You don't even have to be friends with your ex. You can be friendly and hand over the kids and see each other at graduations or big family events um, or make friendly conversation um, for a couple of minutes when you're picking up the kids or dropping them off at one another's homes. And that can be the extent of your interactions with one another. Do not um, feel like you have to be the best possible divorced parents in the world. You can just be civil. And that's fine. So please give yourself the gift of not crying yourself to sleep every night. You're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing your kids any favors. Um, and you'll feel better when you have dinner alone. It's better to eat dinner alone and not cry yourself to sleep um, to heavily misquote the book of Proverbs. And that's all from me this week. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. Remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening.
Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.